Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Well, three words, three words, I love you. Those three words are powerful, but they're especially powerful when they are last words. Last words are profound, aren't they? They matter. Uh, All words matter, but there's something about the final words, the last words that really stick with you. It may be a tender Memory, but many of us in this room have memories of, of someone that we love, someone who's not with us anymore, and the last words they spoke to us. Those words matter, don't they? Those are words that we, we never forget. I remember the last time I saw my grandfather before he passed away. Uh, we knew his health was, was failing. Uh, it was one of those times I knew this is probably the last time I'm going to get to see him on this side of eternity. And I remember the last words he ever spoke to me, I love you. (laughs) I love you. And that may not be the most profound last words ever spoken, but man, I've never forgotten those words. And I'll remember them until I utter my last words one day. I love you. Today, today, I say all that because uh, last words could really be the theme as we conclude our series on the Minor Prophets today because we're we're studying the final book of the Old Testament. And and yes, it is the final, but it it represents more than that. It really represents the final words, the final revelation of God before the manger as we study today the book of Malachi, the last words to a people who had turned on God, the last words to a people who desperately needed to be redeemed. Welcome back to our series on the Minor Prophets. If you haven't been able to be with us throughout the month of November, here's what we've been doing. We've been studying a book of prophets, and and they're not minor because they're less important. They're not minor because they were on the JV uh, prophet team. They're they're minor because they're a little lesser known. They're, They're shorter books and sometimes ignored. And so we have passion uh, to study all of God's word. We believe all of God's word is alive and active and speaking. And so we've been challenging ourselves to journey through these minor prophets over uh, the month of November. Uh, week one, we covered Jonah. And Jonah was really a focus that reminds us that God cares for our enemies and even desires to use us to bring hope into their lives. In week two, we, we talked about um, the, the focus on Hosea. Hosea is a scandalous account scandalous account of a prophet who's instructed to marry a promiscuous woman. And in doing so, we are reminded 
that even when we are unfaithful to God, he is faithful to us. Hosea's story, his journey reminded us of that. Last week, Pastor Jared was here, our campus pastor from East Rock, and he shared a powerful truth about Zephaniah, a message that told us about God's anger and judgment of sin, and yet at the same time, this vision of God singing over us, rejoicing over us. Zephaniah. So this week we conclude with a very specific message, an intentional way, by focusing on Malachi. We're not just studying this book today because it happens to be the end of our series, but it's also the perfect transition between the minor prophets and what's coming next week as we start our Advent series. Malachi is the last book before the manger. So who is Malachi? Who is Malachi? Well, Malachi was a prophet who lived about 100 years after the Israelites experience exile. Throughout the study of the minor prophets, if you've been with us, you know time and time again, we kind of reference this exile. And what does that mean? It means the Israelites were forced from their homes. And that was prophesied to them. That was judgment because of their disobedience. They were told, hey, you're going to experience this. And now in Malachi, we see that they have experienced it. And now what is life like after they return from that experience? And so as the people return, their hope would be, their hope was that they were gonna experience kind of a a new Jerusalem, that this mighty king would come and reunite the nation of Israel. The Messiah would be this conquering, hero of sorts. And of course, we know that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen as they would hope. And so what happens in in the book of Malachi, we see the people are continuing to be unfaithful. The people post-exile are just as unfaithful as their ancestors were. The structure of Malachi, if you look, it's a short book, uh, just a few chapters, but the structure of it is it's really written as a series of disputes. If you like arguments, you're going to love the book of Malachi. It's a series of about six disputes but between the people of God and, and God, his response, Israel's disagreement and God's response. And like we've seen throughout the minor prophets and throughout the Old Testament, there is the clear and repeated message of judgment against sin. In fact, one of the reasons we study the Old Testament is because we don't want to shy away from that. We don't, want to, we don't want to wink at sin. We don't want to excuse it in our lives. And so it's important that we understand that the heaviness, the gravity of sin in our lives. And we see that again throughout Malachi, throughout this book. God warns his people, there is consequences for sin. And yet, also, just as we've seen throughout the minor prophets, there's hope. There's redemption. And so both promises are important. Both promises, the promise of judgment and the promise of hope. And we really see that displayed in Malachi chapter 3. We're not going to read through the whole book, of course. But if you turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, we're going to look at the first six verses. I think it provides a really good summary of sorts of what this book is about. It gives us some really good focus on the importance of Malachi here in the Old Testament and as it points us forward to what's coming ahead in the coming weeks. So we're going to start in verse 1. Of Malachi chapter 3. If you're a version Bible app user, we have an event that we set up each and every week um, just to give you some extra notes, some things to follow along with during the week. And so you're welcome to turn there. Uh, it's on the screen behind me. This is what Malachi chapter 3, starting verse 1. This is the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord. Now consider 
we read these words like, hey, that's cool. No, no, no. Consider the, how they longed to hear these words. What a promise. The Lord you are seeking will come. Well, they, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that promise, right? The messenger of the covenant, but just, just as this is a promise of hope now, now we, we, we understand this isn't just celebration. This isn't just good news, is it? We keep reading in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or, or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He, he will purify as the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in the former years. So this is an image of, of a king. And now, as Malachi continues, now we get this vision of not just a king, but a judge. Look at verse five. So I will come to put you on trial. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the word of the Lord saying that to us today? I will come to put you on trial. Oof. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Listen, we, we see this image, this message of hope. Hey, the Lord is coming. The one that is promised is coming, the one you are seeking. And then we see a message of judgment, right? He will refine you. He will purify you. He will judge those who are disobedient. And now, and now we end this portion in chapter three with hope again. It's like a hope sandwich, right? The hope is the bread and the, anyway, you get it. Uh, let's, let's keep reading. But we're in, uh, what verse are we in? Verse five here. There's this word, but. It's a really important kind of turn. As again, the Lord has declared, hey, I'm coming to judge. Uh, there's gonna be judgment for sin, but look at that word, but. Do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. What a promise. What a declaration. Listen, I do not change. The implication there is that you, me, us, we do change, don't we? <laughs> We change all the time. We, we waver back and forth. Me, I'll talk about me. I am unfaithful. I change. But God is saying, I do not change. I do not waver. I am not unfaithful. So return to me. Return to me. Finally, if you turn the page, uh, let's look at the end of chapter 4. The literal last words of the Old Testament. The literal last words that we get before the coming of the Messiah says this in, in chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send a prophet, Elijah, to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Interesting that it's a great and dreadful day, right? Both are true. Verse 6, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Unless he comes, unless he comes, there is no hope. And that is the final word. 
That's how it ends. After these words, it's silence. In fact, after these words are declared, it's 400 years of silence. We call that the intertestamental period, but it's, it's literally for 400 years after these words are spoken through the prophet Malachi. There's no recording of any prophecy, revelation. It's 400 years of silence. I would suggest to you today that one of the most important jobs we have in studying God's word, and I say this often, if you, if you uh, call this church your home, you've heard me say this time and time again, but I think it's so important. We're not called to just read the word. We're not called to be kind of bystanders in the word that we believe, we believe that this is God's story, his story, his redemptive story of mankind. And so because of that, it's not just a story, it's really our story of redemption, And so when I read the word, when we read the word, our job is to find our place in this story because that's what we believe God's word does. It's alive and active and and, and desires. He desires it to be alive in our hearts. And so as we read the book of Malachi, my question, our question is, where do we find ourselves in this story? I want to offer you two places, two suggestions today where I think important places we can find ourselves in this story. But first, I want to tell the story of a friend. I'm going to call him Gus. Now, I think Gus is an awesome name. I'm, I'm not sure if anyone in the room today, if your name is Gus, please come find me after. You have a great name. My friend's name was not really Gus. The only Gus I know is the mouse in Cinderella. I don't know any real Gus's, but my friend, who would probably not mind that I tell the story because we've laughed about it many times, but he probably wouldn't appreciate you looking him up on social media later. So his name for you today is Gus. Gus was my friend in college, and he was a great guy. He was a people person. I mean, he was the kind of guy who could sit and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, right? You know those people. He would never run out of words. Uh, He loved being around people. And I remember, uh, during, I think it was my sophomore year, it was our uh, finals week was coming. And it's about that season for college students, right? Where where your classes are kind of winding down, and it's finals week. And so finals week, for me, you really had two jobs. You were either taking a final or preparing preparing for the next one, right? And so I remember a particular morning when I got back from taking a final, it was probably 10 a.m., and I was walking down the hall of my dorm, and several of my buddies lived on the same hall, and I remember uh, wanting to stop by and just check on my friend Gus, see how he was doing. And so it's 10 a.m., I had already been up really early, taking a final, you know, my brain was in another place, and I come in, and I knock for a minute, open the door, and I realize very quickly, Gus is sleeping, And so, oh, I start to shut the door quietly, but before I can do that, I hear him kind of mutter in the way that somebody who has just been awoken can mutter, what time is it? What day is it? You know, he's just kind of, I'm like, "Uh," you know, I I tell him what time it is and, and quickly he stumbles around and he realizes it, wouldn't you know, that my buddy Gus overslept for his final. Now, he didn't just oversleep by a few minutes. He slept through the entire thing. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a few minutes late. It was done. It was over. It started two hours ago, and my buddy overslept it. And so in that moment of panic, he's like throwing clothes on, stumbling around the room, getting ready to run across campus to plead his case to a professor who's probably not even there anymore because Gus overslept his final. Fast forward a couple days later during the same week, finals week. Uh, this time, I think I was up one morning and I was studying, preparing. I had a midday final. And uh, mid-morning again, about the same time, I hear screaming from down the hall. It's my buddy Gus. And at first, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I come out in the hall. I think maybe he's fighting somebody, which would not really be his character. He wasn't a violent guy. But I realized quickly, no, no, no. Gus is not shouting and yelling at someone else. 
He's mad because, can you believe it? He did it again. Now listen, the professor did the unthinkable. There's some professors in the room. None of you would ever do that, right? He offered a makeup to the final. Not that he deserved, right? He slept through it. There was no reason that he deserved a makeup of the final. But the professor in his or her generosity and their grace offered a makeup time. And wouldn't you know, my buddy Gus overslept the makeup of his final that he had slept through the first time. And he is spitting mad. He's throwing things. People are like, what is going on with you, dude? Now, now listen, listen, I tell you that because my buddy Gus should have learned from his mistake, shouldn't he have? And there was all kinds of things he could have done, right? He could have set extra alarms. He could have hired someone to pour cold water on him. He could have slept in the exam room to ensure that there's no possible way I'm going to oversleep this again. He didn't do any of that, right? My buddy Gus should have learned his lesson, but he didn't. He didn't, right? And we're no different. Because sometimes we learn and sometimes, as is proven, During the time of Malachi, as is proven throughout these Old Testament prophets and minor prophets, sometimes we learn and sometimes as a people we don't. When we should learn our lesson, we don't. And listen, the Israelites were just like that, weren't they? They they experienced literal exile. They were literally kicked out, removed from their homes. They lost everything. And if anything should teach them a lesson, if anything should get them serious about obeying and trusting and being faithful to God, it would be that, right? Surely they would learn their lesson. But they didn't. They didn't. In fact, we see the people after exile, after God brings them back from that experience, they're just as unfaithful. They're just as unfaithful as they were before, turning their back on God's laws. They should have learned but they didn't. And I believe we can relate. I believe if you will allow yourself to be honest and vulnerable today, you can place yourself in the story right there, can't you? It's humbling to see ourselves there, but it's really important. See, that's why we can't be spectators of the word. Spectators of the word was, oh, stupid Israelites. But, But when we take a minute to be vulnerable before the Lord and allow ourselves to say, yeah, what about me? What about the times in my life when God gave me grace and I should have learned in that moment, but I didn't? In my pride, I I kept doing what I wanted to do. In my pride, I kept winking at sin and thinking that the wages of sin wouldn't be destruction and death in my life. We should have learned. Pride tells us, it's fine, I've got this. And we, we should have learned, but we didn't. And so we don't surrender to God, we don't allow him to be Lord, and we end up right back where we started, kind of this cul-de-sac of disobedience. Can you see yourself there in this story? I think it's important today that we allow ourselves (laughs) to see those moments in our life when we should have learned our lesson, but we didn't. There's another place, there's another place, an implication here where I think we can find ourselves in the story. And I'm going to conclude with this one. This this is the second example because I think this will help propel us into the weeks ahead as we prepare for the Advent season. Uh, The Israelites experienced a literal exile. We think it's about 70 years. So for about 70 years, 
an entire generation plus, right, of people are removed from their homes, experience incredible disruption. I can't imagine how difficult that would be, right? Being forced away from your home, everything that you know is lost, and then you return back. And so for 70 years, they experienced a literal exile. And now, according to historians, after this, the spoken word in, in Malachi, there's about 400 years of silence. They experience a literal exile and then this 400 years, which is kind of a figurative exile in some ways, a symbolic one. At the very least, they're about to experience another season of testing, another a, a season that requires perseverance of, of determining, are we going to turn towards God and his promises or are we going to turn away from him? Consider for a minute, again, it's really easy for us to read this and turn the page and say, wow, Jesus, right? But consider for a minute where we read in Malachi this promise. Suddenly, what does it say in Malachi 3? Suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. Imagine hearing that promise and nothing happens for 400 years. I mean, we, we can't wait 400 seconds for something in our life, right? I mean, we're mad when it, with a Chick-fil-A drive-through and we're not, you know, right? So I'm mad at 400 years. That's unfathomable to us. We, we, can't, we can't even imagine that. But you've been there, right? Again, what, what are we doing? We're placing ourselves within this story. And, and I think you've been there, not 400 literal years, but you've been there in your life where it feels like silence. You've been there in your life where it feels like God's not keeping his promise to you. Where you've prayed and you've trusted and you showed up on Sunday and everybody else is saying how good God is and how faithful God is. But for you, it feels like silence. It feels like, God, where are you? It feels like, God, did you forget what you said to me? Here's an important truth. It's, it's true in God's word, and it's true in my life. Listen, this may be the most important reason some of us showed up today. God's silence does not equal God's absence. And that's hard. That's hard in a world where we don't like silence. That's hard in a world, in a culture today, that we fill with noise all the time. Because we think silence means absence. We think because God isn't saying something new, doing something new, that he's absent from our lives. The last words of Malachi lead into silence. But the good news for us is that's not how the story ends, right? Yes, 400 years of silence, but then we get to Luke chapter 1. I'm not going to steal the thunder of Advent, right? But, but consider for a minute, I have it on the screen, Luke chapter 1. Consider this very specific story of 400 years of silence. And then, and then God shows up through an angel to a priest named Zechariah. It says this in Luke 1. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. This isn't a normal thing. This isn't something that just happened in the temple every week, right? Verse 13, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you're to call him John. 
He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll never take wine or fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And now, these next words, pay attention to these next words, because this sounds like it's coming right from the book of Malachi. Look at verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remember Malachi chapter 4? To turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel shows up and says, hey, Zechariah, you know the impossible thing you didn't think could happen? It's happening. And guess what? Your son is preparing the way for the Lord. John the Baptist in the spirit and power of Elijah is preparing the way for Jesus. The greatest promise in human history is happening. And that's how we celebrate Christmas this year. Listen, next Sunday, next Sunday we kick off our Advent series as a church family. We've been praying all month long about who we're going to invite. Who, who do we want to join us this Christmas season here to experience and celebrate hope with us? And, and next week we begin our series. You'll see the um, title on the screen. Uh, it's God with us. God with us. Listen, we believe Christmas is still good news. We believe Christmas still changes lives. And as we begin this journey together next week, we're going to begin this journey of understanding what it means that his name was Emmanuel. Literally, his name meant God with us. His name says that he's with us. After 400 years of silence, he's with us. As we find our place in the story today, Consider that God is faithful even in exile. Consider that God is faithful even in the silence. Even after 400 long years, God is faithful. He is with us. He is with us. Listen, if we just fast forward to the shepherds in the manger filled with, hey, we miss the journey. And we miss considering the weight of our sin and disobedience, the importance of the journey of this last month is we have to come face to face with our sin and our disobedience and the times that we've been unfaithful. And I don't know about you, but once I consider the magnitude of my own unfaithfulness, I truly begin to comprehend just how faithful God is. We, we can't understand the miracle of Advent without understanding the journey that led to it. The generations and generations and generations of people that should have learned their lesson and didn't. That didn't deserve grace again, and yet they got it. And so we see God with us. God with us in the lowest of lows. God with us in silence, in uncertainty. When we don't deserve it, especially then, he is with us. Listen, Malachi shows us. What does it show us? Malachi shows us that Christmas didn't come because we needed a holiday. Christmas came because we needed a savior. And that's the promise. That's the promise. Yes, those last words, the last words in the Old Testament are a promise to us. And it was one that was fulfilled after those 400 years. And it's a promise that we're going to spend the next five weeks celebrating together. Take a look. 
himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.